welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today, from Content Budapest, we hear from Whip's David Flynn about the kinds of projects the Mayor of Easttown makers looking to develop for the international market. And from TV Polska's Martin Skabara, Czech TV's Jan Maxa, LTV's Jana Semyonova, and LRT's Gitis Ogonaskus about how Central and Eastern European pubcasters are coping with competition and exploring co productions. David Flynn is creative lead at WIP, the US-based independent studio set up by former ABC Entertainment chief Paul Lee, a majority owned by South Korean producer and distributor SLL. The companies behind series including HBO's Mayor of Easttown and White House Plumbers, Amazon Prime Video's The Summer I Turned Pretty, Apple TV Plus's Dickinson and the BBC's Toast of Tinseltown. Flynn was among the keynote interviews at Content Budapest recently and spoke there with C21 Editor-in-Chief and Managing Director David Jenkinson about the types of projects he's interested in and looking to develop for the global market. Thanks for joining us. And uh, first of all, I'd like to just uh, give David a big welcome. So thanks for joining us, David. Nice, nice to see you here. Um, I spotted David's name on the delegate list and uh, I reached out to him and said, look, it's great that you'd like to come, but clearly, you know, you're looking to develop projects internationally and actually we'd, we'd love to, to talk to you and, and share your views with, with the delegates as well. So would you consider uh, being part of the agenda? And he said, yes, so that's great that, that he's done that. And I think that the insight from somebody who's produced such successful shows recently, some of the defining shows of the last few years, to get inside his head a little bit about what makes a hit and the experience of, of that journey is, is, is really fascinating. So maybe we could just start by giving us a sort of a short track on how you got to where you are right now, just like a little, sort of a little brief potted history of how you ended up doing this job, really, I suppose. I'll give a brief version. <laughs> um, so WIP was started about four and a half years ago. Um, it's a creatively driven independent studio that was initially started by CAA. Um, in the last year and a half, CAA sold um, 80% of the company to a Korean company called um, JTBC, uh, SLL. And um, the, the concept of the company is basically to be creatively driven and protect the, the projects and the creatives involved in the projects, use our money to pay for development, pay for scripts, and use our creative you know, expertise and as well as our market strategy to input into the project so that when the projects are ready to go out and before they enter into big, the bigger companies, streamers or channels, the, the project themselves are set and the writers and team are all on board with the project we want to make. So, that, so when you go into the, those bigger companies, they aren't sort of second-guessing the creative decisions that are in the, the script. So in those four years, we did um, Mayor of Easttown at HBO. Um, we did Dickinson, three seasons on Apple. Um, we did The Summer I Turned Pretty on Amazon. And then we recently did um, uh, White House Plumbers also on HBO. And then Danny Boyle's Pistol on um, FX. Is there anything that links that development? Because clearly those projects are all different in their character, but what gets the green light for all of them? What do you look for? Um, in your mind, not the uh, network's mind. Yeah, I, we look for, I think, a strong uh, authorial uh, editorial voice in terms of the creator. Um, a lot of times we will take projects on that are books or ideas or articles, podcasts, you know, IP comes from all sources, and then it's about the pairing of the IP with the writer. But then if it's, if it's in the case of a writer, we're looking for things that are, you know, I think we're all looking for things that are noisy and distinctive and premium in as much as possible. Um, 
but as a company, we try to be nimble, so we try and apply that approach to things that are, you know, um, can come from any parts of the world. And so people always say to me, well, what's the difference between, you know, international, domestic? And I, and I say, well, there shouldn't be any difference. We should all be aiming for the best of the best. And I think the longer I do it, the more I see that a lot of the buyers aren't as connected with the audience as maybe the producers are. But the buyers tend to second guess the producers and say, oh, are you sure? And I think our job as producers is to be you know, as confident in our projects and our creators as we can be and be as sort of um, apprised of the market and understanding of the market as we can be. But ultimately, the beauty about this business is no one knows anything, right? So it's a flat playing field and you, know, you just have to push forward with passion and perseverance and a little bit of luck. Did you know Mayor of Easttown? Because that, that is the, the biggest brand, I think, of all of those shows that you mentioned, certainly in terms of how it influenced sort of the global market, even though all of them were successes in their own right. Did you know Mayor of Easttown was going to be the success it, it, it became? And what do you think made it such along the way? Yeah, well, we talked, to, we, we touched on this a little bit last night. I think that um, none of us ever know. I think you, you know, I think what's amazing about something like Mayor is obviously it was the first female character that Brad had written. You know, you get, you know, it was the first time Kate had done TV recently. And so it was a great script and a great actor, but you can do that on other shows and it doesn't work. So I think there's something amazing about the timing. We were coming out of a, out of the pandemic. I think the sort of, there was a, within her character, even with how she dressed and how she interacted with the family, there was a certain sort of comfortability about that, that people related to. But this is, that's again, the beauty of the business is that you never really know what's gonna work. And as much as people claim algorithms can figure things out, I'm not sure, you know? And I think that, you know, something like that, you can line up all the greatest people in the world and the greatest directors and the greatest writers and the greatest actors, and it cannot connect. And so that is the, the X factor of, of luck and timing and all those things. And, you know, it's amazing to sort of see, talk to different people around the world and see how they've connected with in the same way. And, um, you know, that's what gets us up in the morning. And what's the nuances between developing a show for HBO and developing a show for Apple? If you were to give sort of like a cheat sheet for, you know, what's the difference between those two platforms? How different do they have to be and what do they want and what don't they want if they're, if they're going to back something, do you think? Well, I think HBO, when met developing Mare, was a different company than HBO today. I think it's called Max. Um, and, um, I mean, HBO are, I think, by and large, the gold standard in terms of just the questions they ask and how they look at material and how they approach material and you know they there's a reason why they have a you know such an amazing uh, bunch of shows um apple are slightly different in that they are looking at they're thinking you know their core business is not entertainment it's phones and everything else um and so i think they think a lot about a consumer walking into their store and having something on the screen that is something they made and that thing is on the screen being reflective of who they are as a company and their brand so there's a tendency for them not to do overly political overly violent you know or even if they do things that are have some violence in it there's always a certain sort of veneer to it i think you know i think they've come on tremendously as a company and are making some of the more interesting stuff currently um, I think in the early days, people were definitely questioning it. Um, and, you know, and I think by and large, what I, we feel like from the audience side and from even from the creative side, people do feel like a, some of the other companies are, 
in the volume business as opposed to in the curation business. And so, you know, you definitely feel like with Apple that there's a little bit more curation going into it in terms of the, whether it's the opening credits and, you know, I think they had great success with, you know, Bad Sisters and Slow Horses and, um, and they've been really interesting, you know, and that's what any of, I think any of us who are producers or writers or, you know, directors, that's what you want to feel like is that when you make something and you put all that effort into making something that somebody's going to know it's on and somebody's going to pay it, you know, actually watch it. And so, so that, you know, they're both, each one of these companies, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Disney, they all have slight distinctions on how they do it. I think a lot of them spend a, time, a lot of time trying to think about how they can do it differently or better, and there's constantly people moving around into different jobs within those companies, which makes it very difficult for those of us outside the companies to even navigate what's happening. So that's why I always go back to the baseline of like, well, is it something I would watch? Is it something my friends would watch? You know, what makes it different? What makes it worth somebody spending time of their day to watch something? And then that becomes the process of moving forward with the show. So you're an Irishman living in Paris, working for a company that's got, a, it's a, I think it's a US London-based production company with... Well, I'm the London-based. Lewis, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, Whip is a sort of, it's a, it's, an, it's a decentralized company in some ways. We're based in, in Los Angeles. There's four heads of creative, each who have their own teams, who have their own budgets, and who have their own sort of, you know, lens on the world. Um, I think that we're consistently, we're all looking for a premium um, in, in, you know, that could be something like Summer I Turn Pretty, which is more of a teen sort of uh, love story, or something like, you know, Pistol or White House Plumbers, which are premium in different ways. So, you know, there's definitely a very entrepreneurial aspect to the company where we're given a lot of uh, freedom to develop the things that we are inspired by or excited by. That could be a documentary, that could be non-scripted series, it could also be a film. And so, you know, I'm developing films and TV series from Korea and Egypt, Norway, France, Italy. I just happen to be, I was traveling repeatedly every six or eight weeks to Europe and things lined up where a show I was making started shooting in June in Ireland and so that was the impetus behind moving back to Europe and you know I only have one passport so that <laughs> makes it work so so tell me about this mission to develop more international shows and the sorts of things that you either can talk about that you're working on or the sorts of things that you're looking for uh, and I suppose that comes down to your taste and what you'd like to watch yourself to an extent doesn't it but can you sort of give give us an idea of what that what 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 would tick those boxes yeah, that's great. I mean, it has to be one of those things for me. I mean, I tend to have a mixed economy in terms of the slate of things that I'm developing, but I also, it's just one of those things that whether the hair is in the back of your neck or something hits you that you think that's something I want to, that could be the team, that could be the people, that could be the story. But, you know, I'm always trying to look at a whole bunch of different shows and different ranges and sizes so that we're not so genre specific. Um, I, I definitely look at stories that can kind of intersect two worlds. I think the beauty about the business that we're in now is that you can take people on a journey in a different language. It can be a really small story like a normal people, but if you're pulling out the themes of those stories you first love, then you can have, you can have a real impact around the world. And so. You know, the story can be small, the language can be not English or Spanish, and you can still, people can find it. You know, Parasite being obviously the great example of that. But I love, you know, I'm currently developing a, a book with um, a big US writer, and it's, a, it's based on a Korean short story. I, the show that um, recently got greenlit is based on a Norwegian uh, show that I bought, um, and then thought there was, there was a, you know, a English language version of it. 
and redeveloped it in, in England with an English writer. Um, Can you tell us more about that? I can't yet, okay. but, um, but I will give you, <laughs> you the tip first. Um, and um, but we also, the other thing we did recently, so I, I spent a lot of, my background is in film and I did a lot of independent film. And I um, fundamentally believe that the, the best way to get some, I really love working with new talent and new voices. And so I um, put together a sort of finance plan for independently financing TV. And so I, we did that with a show called Toast, which was season four of Matt Berry's show that went from Channel 4 to the BBC. And then I got a call from the BBC saying we had a deficit. They were going to put their license fee in, and would I be interested in putting in the deficit? So I said yes. And we pulled together some people. We ended up financing the series and then ended up connecting Toast, which was beloved by many comedians, with actors such as Larry David and Bill Hader and, and, um, and Fred Armisen. And, and that was a sort of proof of model that, you know, I think there will exist more and more of that independently financed version of TV. Because it, if, why, why would we not, if you can put two, three, four million dollars into a season or euros into, into a season of TV, a lot of people are doing that into, into movies. And so... It's a different, it's not apples to apples. You have to, there's a sales process that's different and everything else. But I, I think, you know, Fada, Fada was a, not Fada, but um, Tehran was a good example of that. And, um, you know, Apple bought that for big success. So it's harnessing the, the value, the great value of high production value internationally with lower costs, with great, you know, sort of, I think, develop the development process of the American system. So if we can take the best parts of the American system, the best parts of the international system, put them together, then you can have hopeful success. Does anyone have a question they'd like to ask David? Actually, I would like to ask you. If you have found uh, some interesting projects uh, here at Content Budapest that maybe inspired you for, for something to work with? Yeah, I did. I found one project that I really like and I'm inspired by and a group of people I really like so I'm not going to say who it is but I did find one and that's to me that's the most exciting part if you come somewhere and you find one then I feel like it's been valuable so yeah great Good but I think that you know again I think that you know I know it, it feels difficult at times obviously there's a war going on and with legacy media being in a very difficult place in terms of the channels and everything else it can view it can feel overwhelming as a producer to like figure out what are we supposed to be doing and then as a consumer we were talking about this before we get on like what have we watched in the last year that we thought wow that was amazing and and I think that's both a byproduct of coming out of the pandemic and you know we've all been through a rough period of time but the things that inspire us all often come from the screen and so it's sort of on us to then double down dig in be resourceful and you know for me as a producer it's always like how can I get this made I have to get up every morning and think about the 40 children on my slate or 30 children on my slate or 20 children on my slate depending on the day that are the projects that I care about and I think okay what are we going to do to move that forward move those things forward connect the dots you know and the things that are that I least expect to work most of the time are the ones that work and the things that I think have, you know, A-list writers and directors and everything else that sometimes don't connect, you never know. And so, but you have to just kind of, you know, I think you have to have an awareness of, you know, the mistakes I see people making a lot of the times is they're sort of, they over-convolute the, the story or they try and make it tick too many boxes. And I think if you think it, that then dilutes the creative on it. And I think if you're very pure about why, why it is you want to make it and what it is you want to make. And then you reach out to there's so many great producer resources. And I think that's the great part of what I love being back in Europe is because I can reach out to so many people who are helpful, you know, resources who we can collaborate on, who we can kind of brainstorm together and say, what the heck's going on with this and that? And 
you know, and I think that C21 does a great job on that in terms of just informing people constantly about these people's moving here, this people's working here, this is what these people want. And I think that's our job as producers to know all that, but not overanalyze it, not take everything of that and try and make it work. It's just to take that information on board and then try and reconnect with being a consumer and a customer and say, well, I loved that show and why did I love it and what worked? And try and apply that to... It's interesting, space. isn't that balance between being derivative and, and giving people what they think they want and then giving them something they don't know they want yet, but yeah. convincing them. I imagine that's yeah. a, a challenge, it's, isn't it? And we were having a conversation before we came in about the, the dearth of good shows over the last couple of years. I think that's where that, that, that yeah. came from. And if we look across the sort of piece, there are moments in television where there are suddenly hundreds of, well, lots, lots of good shows. Um, and then there are moments where everything sort of like, sort of seems to sort of go stale a bit. And, you know, I, I suppose big, big breakouts of the last few years have been Succession and Mayor of East Town, mm -hmm. and there's been a couple of others as well. But what have you watched that you've loved and how might that inform the decisions that you, that inspire you perhaps going forward? What do you look, what do you look to watch and why do you enjoy some of those shows? I mean, I, you know, I go back and forth. I love, I liked The Bear recently. I thought that was fun. And um, I, uh, I watched a lot of Korean stuff, which I think is just fresh and different and how they mash together genres that have no right to be together and you have an emotional connection. So um, there was a show called, um, the Bargain that was on, uh, it was on festivals around, it's been on, it's on trying the service, which I really thought was interesting. But it's been, it hasn't been the best year ever. I watched every episode of Succession, um, uh, but it's been one of those years. So then you kind of go back and you say, okay, should I go watch movies again, get inspired by movies? You know, there's lots of different, read a book. Maybe. Yeah, read so, a book. There's, um, crazy concept. <laughs> There's sort of a, a, a trend afoot, so I hear that the platforms, particularly Netflix, are now actually revisiting their approach to whether they commission series or features. And, and, and as I understand it, they are now looking for to, 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 to revisit the feature. Oh, yeah. Features um, are back in the last year. For yeah. Why is that, do you think? And why is it that they're going down that route? What's the, the strategic and perhaps the creative imperative behind now going back to movies as opposed to longer form series? I think there was a there was a moment where they were spending a lot of the capital human, not necessarily financial, on limited series. And I think the movies have replaced the limited series space. I think they've also realized that, you know, you spend a lot of money doing a limited series and you get a lot of buy-in from the audience and then it goes away and the audience feels cheated in some way. So they either want to do returnable or, you know, movies that can have multiples of. And I think what we're sensing a little bit is that the, a lot of the streamers, well, Netflix in particular, are kind of going for a little bit more for the middle. Well, they would probably, you know, they'd probably take me out for saying it, but they, 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 they're going for, they're realizing that the super premium, the sort of queen's gambit of the world costs an awful lot of money to make. It goes on one season, gets a lot of attention from an audience, but then they can't capitalize on that attention with a second season. And they look at the sort of other shows, the reality shows, Too Hot to Handle, whatever, which have a much lower cost of production, but have a much higher engagement, and people watch and watch and watch. And so, you know, it's a financial business, and they think, okay, we've, we're carrying a lot of debt. How do we balance that? But, you know, ultimately, if anyone could figure out the formula of what works, then we'd all be, you know, and that's the beauty, that's what makes it a level playing field. With all the algorithm in the world, you can figure out what works in certain aspects of it. You can figure out, I'm going through to the moment on, on our show, 
know, test screenings and charts and maps and things that work and this minute does work. And this, you know, what is true in this current marketplace is that you have to grab attention very early on in an episode for people to stay engaged. People are watching things on their phone. People are, you know, so and so the the, the structure of TV has changed. People are binge watching. What used to happen on season episode three of a TV show in traditional TV land when it was every week is now different because people are binge watching all eight episodes. And so that's an interesting thing to think about as you make a whole season of TV. How is that going to change? How, you know, people watching it, how they watch it, how is that going to change the structure of TV? You know, but again, I, I, you know, if we think too much about what we think people want in terms of the buyers, I think then you're, you're down a dangerous rabbit hole of destabilizing what it is you want to do as a producer. Uh, how, how long do you think people do give a series or an episode these days? Is it two four minutes, minutes, five minutes, apparently. Four, four, four minutes? Four to five minutes, yeah. Interesting. I mean, that even at the moment, you know, yeah. and so. It's quite long in my book. <laughs> Um, but that you're making a cup of tea at the same time and you're probably watching another yeah. screen, so yeah, it's really only it's two really minutes watching isn't it? the Four minutes, screen. what's that in terms of pages on a script? 20, 10? No, two, five, six, <laughs> seven. <laughs> really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Um, Scary. Yeah. yeah. Does anyone else have a question? Uh, if you could let us know. Two questions at the front. If you can get the microphone there and just let us know who you are before you ask the question. It would be great. Thank you very much, David. Um, hi, I'm Hayley McKenzie from Script Angel and Studio 21. Um, I share your passion for working with new writers and new voices. I'm interested, though, when you're taking a project out by a new writer, do you find you meet resistance? Is there an anxiety about the, the writer's ability to deliver that work? Um, and if you do meet resistance and fear, um, how do you mitigate that? Um... I think it depends on which market you're taking it out with. So I think in the American market, it's a lot more about showrunner, that showrunner model. And so, you know, on a show, the show I did at Netflix, which shot in Ireland, it was a first-time writer. We were the first company he sent the script to. show got picked up by Netflix. We, had, we developed the pilot and the outline. And then the Netflix immediately paired him with a, a showrunner. We opened up a six-person writer's room digitally and six Irish writers, two American writers. Um, I think in the UK, you validate the younger writer by the production company. And so if it's a production company that has a track record and that producer and writer become the sort of showrunner piece, then that's how you do it. But again, it goes back to that. I think if you if you... If there's multiple scripts and the work has been done on the scripts and the outline and you're, I'm constantly going through a project saying, how do I minimize anybody saying no? What are the no's I'm looking for in the room? And I'm just like, script is great, outline's great, producer validates the young writer. And it's a lot about the person. Sometimes that person needs to be able to walk into the room and, and in, in your confidence with people. Sometimes that's not their strength. And so then you have to you know, figure out what the best way for them to do it is. It's interesting, isn't Thank it, with you. new writers? It's sort of, you know, it's like, yeah, we're really looking for new voices, really looking for new voices, and they find one, and it's like, so what have you done before? Yeah, like, I know. Well, I think there's something new, right? Yeah. And then the flip side of that is you have then, in, in the US, you have a lot of young writers who become showrunners on their first show. And that, that, that also is, that can be problematic too, because then either they've been given that, you know, in that position and they're not prepared for it, um, or, you know, they haven't been, they're not supported enough by the group, you know, to, to, to do it. And that yeah. can work against you. Interesting. Hi, David. My name is Nico uh, from C21 Media. You mentioned um, adapting a Norwegian show for the uh, English language market. Given you mentioned being owned by JTBC, the South Korean company, are you also eyeing remakes of any South Korean shows? The Bargain, which as I mentioned earlier, so that's the show we're, we're going to do a US version of. Um, 
we there's a couple of um, I'm doing I have about four different shows that are Korean based. I have a Korean short story that I'm adapting into a, um, a English language movie. I was in Busan last year, and so I will go again this year. Obviously, there's a huge attention on that part of the world, and we JTBC SLL are a channel, and so we get to see a lot of those things. <laughs> Uh, I'm meeting 13 webtoon creators on Tuesday in Paris, looking for more content. So yeah, I'm, I hope I'm doing some and I hope to have more. So where would you like to be a year from now? What, what, what's the, do you have a mission? What country? Or, <laughs> Just generally with the development slate, have you got a number? Is there a, a target? Is there a, an area of the world? Is there a, what, what's the mission, I suppose? I would the say the one months? area that I'm a little bit, um, that I need, would like to have more of is in, the, in LATAM, you know, Spanish language. It's not for lack of trying, and I think there's obviously, that's sort of the second biggest market, as you know. So I definitely am looking for stories in that part of the world. Uh, I've taken on a few sort of, you know, crime shows and returnable shows based on books over the last few months that I'm um, developing with writers. I will be going into production on a show in London in beginning January, so I want to see that finished. But I also, I, as a company, we want to back producers, we want to back writers who um, aspire to be producers or have ambitions beyond, you know, obviously continuing to write, but beyond that. And so we've recently sort of um, backed a couple of production companies in, in London with development money. You know, ultimately, part of the reason why I went to Europe, back to Europe is to increase the global footprint of the company, which is hard as one person, one lonely Irish guy running around the world. But, um, but you know, it, I also love it and get inspired by it. So I think we'd like to be doing, I'd like to build the team in Europe. I'd like to sort of, you know, build a footprint. And, you know, I, I feel like there's a shift happening where maybe it's not real, but that, that the, the, the power base in LA is, sliding, is starting to shift a little bit, you know, into, into more European. Obviously, everything, the growth area is international um, for a lot of these companies, but they still have to figure out what their domestic plan is. And so that needs to be figured out. Then after that, they'll figure out what their international plan is. Traditionally, they have been following what Netflix international plan has, but they also realize that that's requires a level of investment that's probably not very sustainable apart from companies like Netflix. So, you know, they're all trying to figure that out. Um, I'm excited by companies like Sky and what they, they have the potential to do. And I really think the leadership there are interesting and, and I'm very pro what they're trying to do. I, I really love working with local channels and I think, you know, I think there's, a, there's an ability for them to be aggressive and hopefully pay a little more than they can, they can play in the game, you know. And so I also think that there's, a, there's much more of an openness now for a lot of the streamers to partner, not take all the rights. So not be totally monopolistic and be open to doing co-production. And every commissioner I speak to seems to be saying that, although they're not necessarily announcing it in the press. And so I think that's also positive. So we go back to the slightly more traditional version of TV where studios and production companies had actual you know, stake in the game and had rights and ownership. And you know, yeah, I think it seems going back to a bit of an old-fashioned sort of way. It's yeah. quite, quite nice. Isn't it? Have you announced who you've taken the development stakes in in London on the production company front? Are you able to I tell us that? I haven't announced that yet. Okay. No. So All I wouldn't right. want to be out of. Okay. Sorry, no, not to give you any tips. But... When you're ready, you know where we are. <laughs> Um, David, it's been fascinating talking to you. So I would just like to thank you all for being here and for David for a fascinating conversation. Thanks ever so much. Thanks so much, David.
public broadcasters from Poland, the Czech Republic, Latvia and Lithuania were among the speakers at C21's Content Budapest recently, discussing their programming strategies, commissioning priorities and approaches to co-production and competition. TV Polska Director of Programming Strategy Martin Skabara, Czech TV Director of Content and New Media Jan Maxa, LTV Programme Director Jana Semyonova and LRT Deputy General Director Gitis Oganauskas spoke to Nico Franks during a session run in association with the Heart of Europe Festival. It feels like it's a time when public service broadcasters are having more than ever to do more with less. So what are some of your strategies for making your budgets go further? Co-productions, is that a key part of it? Let's start with you, Jan. Thank you. Well, I mean... This is something we realized when the current management team started, uh, what is it now, 11, 12 years ago. At that time, there was almost no international cooperation of Czech TV, very little, maybe some with Slovakia. But we realized that, you know, that's one of the steps we need to take to bring the organization back to the international area where it used to be back in the 70s and in the 80s uh, when it when, when Czechoslovak TV did a lot of co-productions with Germany especially. And yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a, absolutely a key part. Nobody can go it alone these days, especially in a small market with a weird language and, <laughs> and a limited amount of financing. Uh, we have also, now we are also looking at working with, uh, as a, with SWOT operators, even the local ones. I mean, this has created uh, quite recently a bit of controversy because uh, some people viewed it as a almost as a betrayal of uh, the public uh, broadcaster's mission to share the content with a you know with a commercial broadcaster. But obviously, it is a way to go to to to, to you know multi-source financing and multi-windowing. It is the only possible way how to survive in this ever more challenging. Conditions. So is there a show in production that's an example of that? For local SWOT, uh, I can't mention any specific show, but there are, there are deals which are almost closed. Okay. Yeah. Gitas, you have an, an interesting example of, of that with a, a local telco in Lithuania. Yes, we actually were just making the first steps in a co-production area. And one of the first examples uh, was the dramedy called Troll Farm. It was the first big budget high-end drama in Lithuania, and we co-produced it together with uh, local telecommunication platform Telia. And also it was financed uh, by Lithuanian Film Center. So it was the first case, and I think that we will have more such cases because as we even a smaller market than the Czech, in Czech Republic. So in our case, it's I think that it's not possible that uh, some local streaming platform or some TV channel can produce uh, a big uh, budget drama alone. So we need to to, to co-produce with some someone. And uh, in our case, that that was a good example. That uh, somehow uh, okay, we that wins window splitting. What was I, I could say some interesting case because because we premiered the series at the same time at the at Telia and we broadcasted it on, on our channel. Then all the the whole season they put placed it on their streaming on their SVOD platform, and we were premiering each episode uh, each week. So I think that that case was 
a little bit better for them because every week we were promoting that that new series and uh, people who who catched it they said ah okay we can go and uh, watch the whole season on on Telia. But uh, in other case, it's it's a good example that uh, if we want to survive and to, to to have a good content in our hands, we need to cooperate with local players. And, and another example, for example, is uh, the competition for sports rights is getting tougher. And we uh, also have one example when we are sharing uh, the sports rights uh, together with the uh, local GoFree platform. And, and that's also an, an example when you want to get something, you need to share and, and to, to cooperate. See, and, and Martin in, in Poland, a, a bigger territory, you, are you able to, yeah. you don't necessarily need to work with Netflix, we're yeah. not going to see that happening anytime <laughs> we soon, the, are we? We are actually the biggest because we have 38 million Poles, plus right now 2 million Ukrainians after Putin's war, so we have 40 million on the... Uh, uh, on the panel, and we were actually thinking to be alone to produce uh, f um, pro to produce and do programming for our own, but especially after war and such a big focus from Netflix, which uh, organized a, a production hub in Poland after the Ukrainian war, uh, and the costs of production was <coughs> skyrocketing basically. So we, we, we know that we are unable to deliver each week premiere good enough show, uh, fresh episode of our historical uh, series because this is something which, which, what, what works well. So we are very much open with the public TV stations from the region, but not only, also with commercials and internally with partners like Pay TV, HBO, even Canal Plus, we are very much open right now to co-produce stuff because we know that we are unable to deliver our previous promise. Uh, so yes, we, we, we want to co-produce especially that I believe uh, in a high season, right, spring or fall, we want to, pre to, to premiere and show our uh, original programming 100% TVP. But uh, low season, it's a time for us to have, a, for example, second window after pay TV with something we, 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 want, we are co-producing with the others. And Jana, how are you kind of navigating that, that challenge and any examples where you, you're, you're happy to kind of take the second window? Yeah, I'll start with a funny fact that we are uh, twice, uh, twice uh, smaller than uh, Lithuania, so we are the smaller one. We have only one million over the a little bit, uh, one million inhabitants, so this market is really small. And uh, yeah, we have some experiences uh, that we have produced some uh, drum series together with uh, local uh, SVOD uh, platforms, and it's, uh, it's always the second window, and it's okay anyway. TV audience is uh, is very huge, and it, but of course, uh, as Gita said, there's no way that we can do something uh, alone. So we we should uh, find the partner. Is it local one? But uh, sure, the better for us would be the the, the work together internationally, as we uh, can get the full package uh, of rights within our territory, and uh, that's our goal, of course, because. We are spending taxpayers' money, and uh, if we are paying for something, uh, it's it's shame on us. Actually, is that we have you know the, the limited rights, and 
And, but of course, the business is business, and the media industry plays uh, their uh, role in that. And uh, it's 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 usual. Yeah, we have some experiences, and it's okay. But I think it's time also to 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 look uh, what's going on outside and to look for the projects what could be suitable for the many countries. See and. We've had a question in from uh, my colleague, Ed Waller. Uh, so he asks, Western Europe and the Nordic countries both have formal co-production alliances led by public broadcasters. Uh, why isn't there one in Central and Eastern Europe? <laughs> well, this is the time for my favorite quote, right? Um, <laughs> the, the founder of TV Nova, the biggest commercial broadcaster in Czech Republic, one Mr. Železny, said back in the 90s, the only thing these countries in Central and Eastern Europe have in common is Hollywood. And, you know, up to a point, <laughs> he, he, was, he is still right. Uh, it's a very, very diverse, uh, diverse place. I mean, the countries have very different histories, very different. They're, even Czech Republic and Slovakia, if you take the, those two countries who are neighbors and who for, for you know, almost... A, a hundred years had a, were part of one country, and before they were part of one empire. I mean, culturally, some things work the same, and some things don't work at all, uh, in which work in one country don't work at all in the other. So I think, I mean, I think we have to learn how to work together, but I think we have some way to, before we actually achieve that. And in our conversations before this panel, it felt like there's murmurings of a Baltic kind of umbrella or collaboration uh, formalized. Twice formalized. a year, twice a year, we are doing that. We are discussing the possibility because we would like to, but the same, same, same. Uh, yeah, we are we are same and we are different at the same time. So, I, I guess we just need to find the first project, and uh, it uh, it must be done. Maybe we need some help from the Norwegian or some another Western handy hand, you know, for for our help uh, how to create together. Because you know, if you are in a, such a small market, you just want to be as local as you can be in in one on one side. Uh, on the other side, of course, you can't do anything alone. So we just are forced to find something, some common ground on that. And uh, is it series? Is it documentary? I mean, maybe the first project must be, you know, something, some, something simple and uh, cheap. <laughs> I think that the, the good thing, uh, at least the good thing, is uh, that we are communicating much of. Uh, much more than at least five years ago. So, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have just uh, started to exchange some ideas. And of course, uh, uh, our acquisition teams, sometimes they are cooperating into getting the better price for, 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 some, for some rights. But I think we cannot create some artificial alliance just to be there and to do nothing or just to put money and wait when some good idea comes. But uh, we are waiting for a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but to have one, actually, yeah, we should announce that we're waiting a good idea. So please, so if you have a good Pan-Baltic idea, please come, now, yeah. Yeah, please come to, to Yanar, to me. And, uh, and then we call Estonians and maybe we'll, we'll get that. And it's beautiful and unique that we are producing, and we as a public broadcasters from the region, we are producing very unique content. No one will produce it, no one. If I will mention one of the main SVOT international platforms without expressing the name of this platform, when you are opening this platform, you see 
uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of series, and you know that you have seen it because each of them are very similar. Sorry? I think it was someone's phone. <laughs> so, it wasn't a Netflix exec. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, you, you can't see the difference because each of this uh, production is very much similar. Why? Because it's, it's being produced on, ma on many territories. It has to work on each territory. That's why the content is uh, it's simple. Public broadcasters, they are, we are producing very unique stuff. And it's, more, it's harder for us to find a common ground, to, to find a good project which we can produce together. But it is, this is possible. That's why TVP, we started the, the, this festival called Heart of Europe, because that was the reason why we believe that together we can build something which is on top of those platforms. Mm -hmm. Uh, which will be unique from the region, and we believe that we will find a common ground. And unlike the rest of the panelists, the streamers that you mentioned are producing originals in your territory. So how is that impacting, you know, when you're looking for programming, are you find you mentioned the inflation and maybe the kind of, in terms of the, the production, but in terms of the stories that you're looking for? And this is tricky because uh, what they do, as votes uh, are mainly dedicated to younger audience. We as a TVP, we are very much based on traditional linear TV and this is our core target. This core target is 55 plus, which is watching, uh, those people are watching TV around six hours per day come in. Younger audience in Poland, they are consuming TV less than one hour. So that's the difference. For uh, average four hour, it does not change uh, year on year, but the structure for the viewership is changing. Uh, TVP is, wasn't in the position so much interested. We were, not, we were not so much interested to produce original production for younger audience because we were taking care about this older part. That's why we, we were not uh, losing so much ratings uh, as our uh, competitors. Right now, especially this year, there is, a, there, there is a total change in the company. We have a new board, also new setup, I would say. And uh, the core for us is right now to build up VOD. And I believe, this is my belief and our board believe, that we will be not building SVOD, because I don't really believe in SVOD, especially for public. What will work for sure, it's a, I, I call it BVOD, Broadcaster BVOD. Uh, basically what I see, it's like um, mainly AVOD with elements of SVOD. So there is a time for us to be open for the production, uh, also for younger audience, but what's, what is critical and crucial for us, we want to have the common ground as, uh, with, the, with the TVP DNA inside. There is no reason for us to produce separate content dedicated only to one of leg, of those two legs. What are some of the kind of quirks of your, your local markets? And Jan, I know when we were talking before this, you mentioned uh, a show, um, so National Pride, and <laughs> I thought it would be a, it's a good example of that process of how you found that show. Can you tell me a bit about that? Okay, well, it's another funny story which I tell often. <laughs> um, Czech Republic is a very difficult market for uh, for entertainment formats. Czechs seem to feel guilty when they are enjoying themselves in front of the screen, so they kind of need some sense of a purpose. Uh, so most game shows and talent shows, either on, I mean, we don't really do them at all, but even on the commercial channels, they have very 
short and unhappy life usually. And, uh, you know, on Prima, one of the commercial channels, they run I Love My Country for ages now. Nova had several seasons of Yours Face Sounds Familiar. I mean, these are not really competitions. These are like more fun and fairy tale formats. We have uh, Strictly, Come, Strictly Come Dancing, which is, which is the um, most successful entertainment show ever in Czech Republic. But apart from those, what really works is quiz shows. And the more boring they are, the more uh, the audience loves them. And uh, th there was one time when we, when we, were when we had to change uh, uh, strip format, the daily show, which we have in the, in the, in the late Access primetime, uh, just before the news. And we were trying various funny formats, like Pointless, and the audience was hating it. So I really, out of desperation, I once went to MIPCOM asking all the format suppliers, I need the most boring quiz shows you have in your catalog. <laughs> and everybody thought the Czechs were completely mad, you know, that we went completely crazy. And the guy at Endemol then told me, well, I have this show in the back of my catalog. We haven't even produced it. It's just a paper format and it's called the National Pride. Can you imagine how boring is that? And I said, well, that sounds good. <laughs> and we've been running this for eight years now with about 16% share every day. So that's Czech Republican okay. entertainment for you. So distributors should be bringing their boring, <laughs> boring formats yeah. to Jan. Jana, what should... What I know should... this format very well. <laughs> yeah. What should distributors be bringing to you? Uh, well, it's, it's the same. Uh, it's, it's very, you know, specific. And uh, public broadcasters, as uh, Martin said, that uh, we have a unique product, so it means that we have a unique audience that relates to this unique uh, content and in reverse... Uh, in opposite way as well, and uh, yes, it's uh, it basically what relates. It's uh, really like our um, events, you know, special programming when we have these special days, holidays, uh, celebrations, freedom days, and etc. etc. And all the local uh, cinema uh, premieres or is it series feature films? Uh, it's a big event. Uh, any any time so so uh, news and uh, good journalism and documentaries from ukraine and we are changing our schedule because we have like a hot documentary from the ukraine at the moment so we put it in a prime time and it's uh, it's it uh, it always works uh, so we are very flexible to changes and uh, really our programming consists of special programming but uh, yes, uh, same with, uh, if we are talking about acquisition, it's, uh, we have same, same time slots for many years, and we know that uh, our audience loves uh, soft crime from UK, for example, uh, like Midsummer Murders and um, Father Brown and, uh, and uh, all this stuff. And uh, the nation cries because of sports, for example, uh, ice hockey championship, we, we have these changes at the Midsummer Murder. Congratulations on the bronze, by the way. That's Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We deserve that. And yeah, that was the most viewed. At, uh, yeah, we had this ice hockey championship and of course it, it's a it's, uh, big hit. So the sports, uh, and still if we, if we have rights and it... Uh, it uh, happens more and more rarely. As Gita said, it's really hard to compete with um, commercial broadcasters in field of uh, sports, right? But yeah, same uh, about Midsummer Murders. Uh, you can't do anything with that. Uh, 
So it's um, it's uh, it's a bad day uh, when uh, Midsummer isn't broadcasted. Okay. So, Gitis. National morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, in our case, the most watched categories are we show news. Live events also, like in Latvia, we do a lot of live events. For example, like special occasions, special state celebrations, and so on. Uh, and of course, uh, big entertainment shows. We are trying a lot of different formats. Last season, we had uh, Dream Duets, uh, also Ultimate Entertainer. But sometimes uh, you just need to find uh, the right person to have a hit show. In our case, that uh, was a uh, naturalist, charismatic naturalist who, despite we don't have uh, elephants and lions in our forests, he tells about bugs and frogs so interesting and passionately that is one of the most watched shows on our main channel. But of course, we can look for, a, we can just look for a lot of formats, but uh, nothing works better in our case than old good Eurovision Song Contest that uh, for many years in a row is the most watched TV show in Lithuania. Of course. Martin, how about you with Poland? Uh, we have we a have few legs, but all of them are mainly based on our original production. Uh, we have uh, a like, love. I mean, me was in Polish, it was 20, 25 years old. So popular twice per week generating still three and a half million average viewer, 27% market share. Uh, we have some daily soaps also, and it is our second TVP2 channel is based mainly on this uh, Polish series. TVP1, apart from sport, which is a kind of problem for us because sports events are being very tricky because of the licensing, uh, cost of license, uh, sports started to be very transactional. Also in terms of uh, global thing with uh, SVOD players, sports SVOD players we are facing with the big problems with the, with the sports rights. But uh, we have a slot on Sunday uh, after news, uh, which is uh, costume, which is, uh, we are trying to, to produce very high quality costume show. <laughs> And this, uh, uh, this slot is generating also around 3 million uh, with 20% of market share. So th those are pillars. Plus sports and concerts. Poles, they love to have fun, dance and sing. Great stuff. And, and all, of them, all of them are original. So mm -hmm. we, 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 I cannot tell you, uh, the, it, there is a one, one format which, is, which uh, works well. It's Voice of Poland. We have Voice of Poland, we have Voice of Kids, we, ha we developed together with the license owner Voice of Senior, and this is a very, very successful show, and beating all our commercial competition. And in the UK, the BBC is having a lot of success at the moment with shows like Drag Race, so RuPaul's Drag Race, a local version of that, and dating formats that are incorporating LGBTQ plus participants. What scope do you each of you have, do you think, to, are you already doing that with some of your, your entertainment formats and, and what's the reaction like or what would it be like if you started doing that? No, we are not. I think it's still uh, a little bit too controversial in our countries, but I think that we as a public broadcasters should try to push those boundaries and to cover all the, let's say, different topics that are controversial and that society thinks that they are controversial. So we are just um, 
don't have such dedicated, let's say, uh, entertainment formats, but we are just covering uh, those topics inside other formats uh, in our in our programming. So, and usually, yeah, if you, we had actually three years ago one um, uh, show on our streaming platform, and that uh, was one episode dedicated for uh, a gay couple who is raising a child. And then there was a big scandal in Lithuania. They actually, we went to a radio and television commission that is um, supervising all, all, all the media market in Lithuania and uh, needed to explain why they show that and so on. But at the end, it all happened. It all ended good. Actually, we had uh, no fines or, or something, and those people who were complaining, they, they will complaining in the future again. So, so I can I can only confirm that this is a similar situation in Poland. We are not UK. We are changing as a sociality, and uh, I think everything will be based on the research. What our viewers will tell about this. Uh, I know that our our commercial competitors. They decided to produce a, a gay show last year, and they are not continuing uh, this because of the uh, weak uh, ratings. So it shows that this is not the, not the, the highest, not the proper time, maybe for that. I, I believe that this is all depends on, of the of the needs. The same with us, like in Lithuania, we have done some documentary series in uh, our uh, platform, which is dedicated to use. Uh, uh, um, audience and it was just a documentary series when uh, real people uh, talked about their experience uh, just to encourage others to be open and uh, and be as you are actually but in general uh, yeah we are not producing anything at the moment and uh, it's quite opposite you know it's it's quite hard to buy some series or feature films or documentaries we are not uh, we're not involved uh, LGBTQ and uh, when we are showing those uh, series or, or films, we always receive the angry uh, emails or, or letters from the um, religious organizations that uh, we are doing, you know, propaganda, and uh, it's against traditional uh, values. So it's, uh, it's controversial still in our society. Well, Czech Republic is a fairly godless country and a fairly <laughs> liberal country, so we don't really have this kind of problems. I mean, we don't do... The, we, I, I think Czech TV never actually broadcast a dating show of any kind, so it's... <laughs> so we haven't started with LGBT because it's just not a genre which we, which we do at all, but otherwise these topics are covered in, you know, documentaries, dramas, in in various current affairs uh, shows. And of, of course, there is always some reactions. We have this, we have this idiotic uh, group of people called the Alliance for Family who think, you know, everything which is not straight and, and as it was 200 years ago, will destroy the fabric of the society. So yes, they, they send us angry letters about everything we do, but that's... That's, That's just the proof of that we're doing the right thing, I think. Uh, in, even in terms of our Emiak Miłosz, like love, uh, this self support, we have, we have a gay character inside. So it, it, we are showing uh, normal life, but we are not doing this affirmation. Let's put it this way, and that's why I think that for everyone it, there is a time needed. Finally, it's a quite a big subject, but um, I'm interested in how public broadcasters are approaching 
issues such as the climate change and what your audience is, how they're responding to your programming that, that covers those topics? And is that a kind of a big focus for you in, in the years ahead, kind of in, in scripted or unscripted? I can say that it's, uh, it's you know, integrated uh, in original programming, but due to COVID and Ukraine, it's, it's gone somewhere away. It's uh, not priority topical anymore, and uh, unfortunately. And yeah, we have some uh, current affairs uh, documentary time slot, and uh, usually there's always uh, documentaries about the climate changes as well, but, uh, but nothing special. And uh, yeah, I can say unfortunately. I see that there is a uh, there is a need for the younger audience to deliver this uh, this approach, and they are very much interesting about. So for us, there will be also a reaction while we are strengthening this digital leg right now, because you know traditionally, of course, we have elements of uh, uh, green politics in uh, in we are we are trying to put those stuff in the in our original scripted show. But the real, the real call for us is the target, younger target audience because we see in the, re, in the research that they are very much focused on that. Uh, we covered the topic, of course, a lot in news and current affairs and documentaries. Uh, there, is, I, there seems to be a lot of interest and, and, and ambition from especially you know, younger generator, generation of writers to, to cover the topic, to create stories on the topic. I think they haven't quite found a way how to tell an interesting story with the topic of climate change. At least I, <laughs> what we received so far kind of was good on the political side of things, but, but weaker, weaker on, the, on the story side of things. But hopefully this will, this will change. I, I'd love to do a, a, a drama or the drama series with that topic, but so we, far we didn't get the right, uh, right idea. We have elections this year, and I saw uh, the survey saying that for younger voters, this is the second biggest and most important uh, element for the reason for who to vote. Because they have something to blame the older generation. Absolutely. For. perfect topic, right? <laughs> and Gitas in, in Lithuania? Uh, yeah, we are running out of time, so I try to, <laughs> try to be quick. Uh, the same situation in Lithuania. Yes, it's more interesting for younger audiences. We have a special dedicated show about climate change on one of our channels. And also, in terms of organization, we are now working on our ESG strategy and uh, how to produce green and, and so on. Yes, I have to say that as well, because well, my colleague from production is not here anymore. But uh, no, our production team actually has, you know, they adopted quite strict standards of uh, environmentally sound, sustainable production, which I think is very good. Fantastic. Well, yes, we are out of time, so that just leaves me to thank the panel and thanks the audience for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more interviews by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.